Hey everybody, welcome to Licked and Loaded. I'm Laura Desiree, and I hope you've been enjoying the series so far. I know uh, we've had some incredible guests, and uh, I've learned so much because of them, because of these conversations. I've laughed so much, and I've really gained an insight that I don't think would be available without having these talks and these incredible experts and their life stories. So I thought before moving ahead here, let's take a minute and have a look at the greatest hits of all the licked and loaded you've been enjoying. So here it is. So this is a collection of some of my favorite moments from these conversations. Uh, some of the funniest bits, the juiciest bits, the parts that you certainly don't want to miss. So if you haven't had a chance to sit down and actually take in these episodes in full form, we're going to fast track you right now. So we got things started this series with the incredible icon that is Lady Bunny. And Let's just say uh, I was very intimidated to sit down for this chat only because she is so famously quick-witted and I also like to pride myself in my comedic timing and my expertise in that genre. But my gosh, you're going up against uh, a legend, a beast of a performer. I was, I was tickled pink by the end of this one. I hope that you all enjoy these little quick hits here with the, the fabulous Lady Bunny. <laughs> Short and fat and old and sickly, the girl with COVID-19 goes walking, and when she passes, she lifts her mask and goes, <coughs> I am in New York City in my apartment where I've been for months, hold up, That's trying cool. my jokes out on very unappreciative rats and uh, mice and roaches. You know, I skip the fillers and I just go for McDonald's, it's cheaper. <laughs> seniors in technology. I'm an atheist. I don't want to see any president sworn in on a Bible. But that's not the battle that I pick because right. I'd rather focus on affordable health care in a global pandemic. I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. Speaking to New York-based dominatrix Venus Cuffs was so eye-opening. I mean, this is someone who is so prolific within the kink community, so well-versed that uh, it was very much an education. We talked all about um, safe practices uh, within kink. We talked about the many varieties that exist within the subculture. And of course, the benefits beyond just sexual gratification. And yes, we got deep down and dirty into where racism exists within kink and BDSM play. I am a BDSM educator, fetish trainer, nightlife personality, um, and producer. <laughs> um, as far as my BDSM background, I was a pro dominatrix for 11 years. I worked in a bunch of various different dungeons before I moved on to my own. I super enjoy playing as a, also a lifestyle mistress, which is more the personal side of BDSM as opposed to an exchange for money. I really enjoy playing and this is what this whole little setup here is for. 
when you date uh, and it's not in, but like within BDSM and mm -hmm. you know like everything's not like outlined right from the beginning like hey this is, these are the things I want and need you tend to like meet a lot of alpha men or men that just want to like dominate you in the bedroom mm -hmm. they want to tell you what to do I even had one guy try to tell me what to wear which was like interesting I was oh. like uh 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 <laughs> and being worshipped. I, I know it sounds like it might be a basic, but again, for listeners. Sure. Being fetishized is someone that, fe okay, fetishizing or tokenism. When you see someone, you just can't get past their skin color, you can't get past their race. They're not a whole person to you. They're just something that you would like to use for your own sexual gratification. Being worshipped means the person worships you as a whole entity, a whole body, a whole person. So when I have a sub that worships me, they worship my feet, they worship my breasts, they worship, they love every part of me, they see me as a goddess, they see me as something so amazing, so beautiful. Um, whereas being fetishized is kind of like, just do this thing so I can come. I hate to play devil's advocate here, but you know, a lot of people believe that Anyone who's into any extreme kinks or fetishes probably has something wrong with them and they're a bad person. So I have to I have to ask, when is a kink cause for concern? A kink is cause for concern when it's no longer BDSM and becomes abuse. Okay, that's that's pretty much the only time where it's a cause for concern. I'm into some very heavy stuff myself. I enjoy spanking people until they draw blood. I don't think there's anything wrong with that if there's two consenting adults. And the only time that you need to start worrying is when boundaries are starting to be crossed. And that's what we call going into a consent violation or abuse. The mainstream public, let's say, they like to associate kink and uh, this kind of kink play, fetish play, with sexual gratification. But what else is there? What other benefits are available to people that are, I'm going to say, consumers of, of kink? Kink can be something that can be so rewarding, so healing. I am somebody that's a survivor of a, a sexual assault. Okay, I'm just gonna lay that out there. Being a part of BDSM helped me reclaim my sexuality. I was able to find my voice again. I was able to set healthy boundaries again with partners. I was able to explore my own body and know I wanna be fucked this way, not this way. I wanna be licked this way, not this way. Mm -hmm. um, so healing is definitely one of the things that I see very often, including with myself. Also, BDSM is not always about sex. It's not always sexual. A lot of BDSM is very psychological. It's, it's, a, it's, it's more work than people realize. It's more responsibility than what people realize. Even with anal play, you need to know, use a lot of lube, hello. <laughs> I know that literally, like, how is that not just etched into like the Declaration of Independence at this point? Speaking with uh, Jessica Drake, is always such a thrill. What an incredibly sweet, kind, uh, and harmonious person. And what I mean by that is, uh, this is someone who has really taken time to master that balance between being such an industry icon and celebrity, such a legend in her field, but also such a peaceful and content human being. It's a difficult thing to try and uh, way out to hit that perfect level of balance and she has done just that. So this was my chat with Jessica Drake.
think that there is a way to tell if social media has a healthy place in your life or not, like whether you're using it too much or relying on it too much for those connections? Yeah, so normally I think that our parameters to judge that would be a little bit different than they are right now. Currently we're in what I don't even know if I can call it the middle of a pandemic, but we're in this really weird space. And one of the only ways that we have to connect with people is devices. But outside of a, of a global pandemic, I think you're the best judge of your own on-screen habits. And the way that you can sort of gauge that is do you feel more anxious? I curated my Instagram feed. Um, I started doing it a few years ago to follow a lot of baby animal accounts and baby <laughs> goats. Like I, I love goats so much. So I have a bunch of stuff bookmarked on my Instagram um, where if I am having a shitty day, it actually has become a form of self-care because yeah. I have this section of bookmarks that are just all heartwarming animal videos. A dick pic is a first impression. I think that's the quote right there. Like, but it really is like, just think about that. When I open up that picture, that is my first impression, not just of my dick, but of you. Of you, of you. We're not clear on what is or isn't allowed. How much of an ass are you able to show? You can't tell who, you know, what the ratio is of how many followers you need to ensure that, yeah, you can show a thong photo and not be taken down. I don't have a grip on what the community guidelines are, but I have definitely been shut down a number of times. Posts get taken down, uh, my account gets shut down. What's your experience with this? So I've been fortunate enough to never have my Instagram account uh, taken down. Uh, I have been hacked before. Um, I have been, I have had posts removed that made no sense at all. And being told that they violate community guidelines or rules, I've contested it and they've put them back up. I can't think of any situation where they didn't. I've also experienced having images disappear from my feed that I know aren't breaking any rules, nor did I get any communication from Instagram about it. Uh, the bottom line is Instagram hates sex workers, uh, hates anything that portrays women embracing their sexuality. And yet there are certain celebrities, Kim K, who can absolutely get away with it. I think owning our bullshit is super important and understand that so many people in the whole world are feeling a certain way especially right now and on top of that there are also so many people in the world that have some kind of trauma in their background so I think that it's a bit of compassion like a very deliberate compassion we're especially finding that out now shadow banning is a very real thing if we uh, well if, if I as a sex worker am interacting with other sex workers it will change the algorithm a bit it won't unshadow ban us I don't open my DMs uh, generally because when I do, it's penis, 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 penis. But you've seen some of them, come on. I, every once in a while, I'll go to the other side of my DMs. That's a scary place, the no man's land of DMs where anyone's allowed to send you something. And every once in a while I go in there and I will get some of the most creative and some of the most horrific True. dick texts, yeah. you so know? I do, I venture over to the other side occasionally and I will find things like the guy 
lost my virginity to. <laughs> Anna Fox is such a talented performer and such a passionate member of her industry and her community. So I was very excited to chat with uh, Anna Fox for this series. We spoke all about the business side of porn, really how rates and bookings and management works. Uh, and then we went into the stereotypes and the racism that is perpetuated in the depictions of sexuality that we see in porn today. And this is someone who gives it to you straight. Uh, she did not hold back in this conversation. She told us some stories about interacting with the public, her fans, and uh, perhaps areas of improvement that uh, we can all be making, whether you are a consumer or whether you are a creator for this industry. You don't have to point it out. Like I've never went up to a white guy and been like, your big white penis, I don't know. Like who does that? So it's just kind of like a weird term. And I feel like they're just trying to like fetishize it more. Like this big black cop coming to town, 3D, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Why are you bringing me gifts from Africa and telling me if I want to play a role in Wakanda? Like that's a fictional play. You know, it's just like, they always go there. And I'm like, can I just be like a human today? Like I was walking around completely forgetting that I was black. Uh, a big dick rate. My God, wouldn't that be a great idea? Because be no necessarily what they're getting themselves into if it's a massive big dick and sometimes there is a risk there there's a risk i've been like i've sweat like whole wigs off during some big dick scene we spoke to the incredible drag superstarlet laganja estranja someone who uh was introduced to the world through rupaul's drag race and is just such an incredible unique original and it's so hard to be an original in the entertainment world these days you feel like everything's been done but laganja has found this great opportunity to just be her individual unique self and to lead with that to let that shine and to really enchant the world with that laganja is doing everything right it's so hard to keep all of the mouths fed these days, whether it is your relevance on social media, uh, your name within the celebrity community and celebrity relationships, uh, brand representation, brand sponsorship, uh, brand ambassadorship. This is an individual who has just mastered all of these things. You just, you feel like you're chatting with your best friend and that's what uh, Laganja immediately warmed me with. So here's our conversation, hope you dig it. <laughs> Hi, baby. Nice to see you again. At least through the computer screen. I know. It's such a heartache because all I want to do is jump through and hug everybody I know, and you can't do that right now. And pass the joint, too, right? Pass the joint. Come on, <laughs> I want to pass it because it's the best when you share it. Now, Laganja, last time that I saw you, and really our only time actually meeting, was get ready for this, viewers. I know you're all going to, you're going to be shook when you hear this, was the Pornhub blush carpet. Pornhub. Yes. Awards. Yes. What were you doing there at a Pornhub Awards blush red carpet? Well, you know, as the only female illusionist, I was there to represent for the LGBTQAI plus community. And I really wanted to support my brothers and sisters who are in the industry. I am all for sex positivity. I think uh, sex work is work period and should be seen as such. And so I just wanted to be there to support and show people, you know, in person that this is something I love. 
for me, there is no limit. The sky's the limit. I want to direct a Cirque du Soleil. I want to have my own dance company. I want to star in films. I want to star in television. I want to have my own book. I want to have a perfume line. I want to design my own clothing. I, I want to have my own dispensary. I mean, I just, there's so many things that I feel like I can do as an artist. So for me, that's why I don't try to like put a cap on it or say like, well, when I have this, then I'll have reached that. I mean, I do a little bit. I always say when I have an infinity pool, I'm good. Like that's really truly a thing. Like I How really- How far feel... off are we right now from that happening? Oh, we're pretty far. Oh, we're pretty, we're pretty far. far, yeah. Where does love fit in, in your hierarchy of needs and in your life today? Right here, sis. This is my, my first boyfriend, can you? And this is oh. my second boyfriend. Oh, oh who girl. is that? This is little Dabbers, my adorable sleepy baby, who oh. has definitely helped me through quarantine. Yeah. You know, I'll be very honest, since I became a drag queen, it's been difficult, of course, to have a partner. Yeah. I think even more so once I discovered that I consider myself non-binary and began expressing that, I think it just made it difficult because when you're a gay male, usually you are attracted to other gay men. Mm -hmm. And so since I'm not identifying or really treating myself as a gay man anymore, I feel very much someone who exists between both spaces. I love the feminine pronouns. I feel very comfortable uh, with my femininity, meaning I wear dresses outside of drag, I wear makeup outside of drag. It's just hard to find a male partner that finds those things attractive because like I said, they're gay men, so they're attracted to masculinity and plaid t-shirts and sports and smelling like a man and things that I am just so not. So I think what's really great is the way that we're moving and the conversations that are happening around gender is we're finding there are people who do find people like myself attractive. They've just never had the confidence, the courage, the words, the ways, the know-how to explore, express, any of that. Just to come full circle on this, I have to know. We met at the Pornhub Awards. Yeah. What kind of porn is your kind of porn? Oh gosh, bilatinmen.com is my favorite website for sure. I love, um, you know, men of color with tattoos fresh out of prison. I mean, that's like my favorite fantasy for sure. But I'm very adventurous with porn. I, I like to look at it all, truly. I mean, I've looked at straight porn. I've looked at, well, never girl on girl porn. So no lesbian porn. But... You know what? I, that's not, I don't watch that either. I don't know why. I really? don't why it's not my thing and that's fine. It doesn't have to be. But I have been getting very adventurous and exploring different kinds of word pairings and punching sure. those in my search engines. Yeah, I mean, I love daddy and son. I I love any kind of fun kinky thing like cheerleader or well not cheerleader because it would usually be like I don't know like gym boy and oh, yeah. you know any sort of like naughty school play I love I mean I love uh, BDSM I mean I'm super open sexually so yeah. I I'm down to explore the porn I'm an identical twin big reveal here I told her today that I'm gonna be talking with the ganja. I said, you know, I'm very excited. This is gonna be awesome. I can't wait. She said I have one question I need you to get to the ganja. I said, okay said, what is the skin routine happening here? Because whether in or out of makeup, I am blown away by the luminosity. I am blown away by the absolute perfection, the immaculate contour of it all. What the fuck are you doing to keep it like that? Well, I, you know, never in a million years, if you had told me 10 years ago that one day someone would ask me about my skincare routine, I would be like, bitch, please, bitch, where? Don't tell me it's just water, bitch. Yeah. It turns me on when someone calls my blank a blank in the bedroom. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. Um, well, 
since you asked. <laughs> oh, Boomer Banks. I mean, what a dream boat. Incredible life story. Uh, I didn't know Boomer personally before doing uh, this, this interview and this episode with him, but uh, this is someone who has really experienced a very full life in the sex work industry. This is someone who's experienced the grunge and the high glamour that's available in operating at any level of being a sex worker. And so Boomer Banks uh, really just leads with this level of confidence and this level of kindness and humanity that can really only come into a human being's life until you've experienced all of these many levels. Boomer Banks blew my mind and he's truly irresistible. Uh, I fell in love and hopefully you will too. Like you're not a New Yorker. I, I know that that hurts and you are definitely a New Yorker, but my well, God. Here's the thing, honey. Here's the thing, honey. When Paper Magazine calls you a New Yorker, then you're a New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, mission accomplished. <laughs> Can you give us the story of you finding sex work in New York City? Uh, so I moved to New York City because of fashion. And uh, I went to school for fashion here in LA and I got a great job with a French designer. And then um, I move out there and three months later she gets bought out. So then everyone's like, well, you're 25. I was 31. They're <laughs> like, you should you should bartend and go-go dance. And I was like, yeah, I'm 25. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, go-go dance and bartend. And um, and so I went and I did that, and 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 I also went back to retail. So as a true New Yorker, the, from what I've gathered, New Yorkers will do whatever it takes to stay in New York. And I got like three jobs. Um, I bartended at the Phoenix and the East Village. Um, I go-go danced at the Cock. Um, and then this this huge party came along called Westgate that is no longer around, and it that's what catapulted everything into like nightlife for me in New York City. To be honest with you, my street smarts, I was homeless on Santa Monica Boulevard and trans women and drag queens took me in and were amazing to me. They taught me how to use my mouth instead of my fist. One of the missions that I've got here with this podcast in particular is, yes. I know it's a tall order, but what I would like to do is at least know that in my lifetime, I reworked some of the societal understanding of sex work. People that can't even grasp what escorting looks like, feels like, actually is. Can you tell us what some of those experiences were like and what surprised you the more that you did it and the more days or appointments you had behind you? The biggest surprise to me is the fact that the majority of people that I meet, they want a connection. That education or that um, self-realization, did that come from your time on the streets or did that come from sex work? Yeah, well, no, it came from my time on the streets and it was an epiphany that I had when I finally got sober that I had all this knowledge already that was given to me. I just never used it because I was numbing myself with drugs and alcohol for years. And I'm very lucky to have gotten sober at the age of 24 and it's very unheard of and continued to be sober. And today is my 16 years clean and sober. Whatever it is that your name is attached to, what do you want to be known for? You know, I, I was having this thought the other day. It always comes back and it makes me a little emotional because um, immortality is, uh, I just turned 40 in June, in June. 
And, um, you know, you start thinking about mortality and then, you know, you start losing friends and then it just starts, you start thinking like, am I just going to disappear and never, no one's ever going to talk about me again? I love my community. The queer community to me is so important. If I can just be, make some sort of change for people of color in the queer community and be remembered for that, that, that would be enough for me. Honey, if you're if you're getting paid to perform a sex act, whether it's with someone you're into or not, and actually the majority of the time you're really not into your partner um, when it comes to the film, like it's it's sex work. Yeah. You're not better than an escort. You're not any less than an escort. You're a sex worker, period. And there shouldn't be this divide. And and I and I, I you know. Yeah. It, there's no, there's no, you're, you're not better, you're, you're not any less, you're a sex worker, period. To get Mexican boys sending me messages about how they're like so happy that they see that representation, I feel like I've done my job if I just reached one person that is looking at porn and not seeing, because for me, I often looked at porn and thought, do I need to be a white guy with blonde hair and blue eyes to ever be desired? That's like, how I feel horrible... about my labia, Boomer. I look yeah. at my labia and I'm like, this thing needs to be just snapped right off. We need to just have one time. <laughs> like, it's true. Porn dictates how we feel about our bodies. And that's yeah. the responsibility. So we need that. I can't, ima I can't imagine you don't have a beautiful labia. So I, I've learned to love it. I've learned to love it. <laughs> I really have. The great Danny Daniels, holy hell. Uh, Danny Daniels is obviously a very well-known name within the porn industry. And this is somebody who I wanted to do some myth busting with. I know uh, a lot of the times we have our expectations and assumptions about people within the porn community, about their sexual preferences, their sexual appetite, uh, the ferocity for which they seek pleasure. And Danny Daniels and I had to get into the nitty gritty of her sex life, which I thought was so much fun. She's a very real individual. This is someone who is very comfortable expressing herself, her true self, doesn't want to live up to those expectations and that stereotype of what a porn star should sound like and what they should speak about. Um, Danny is so sweet, so funny, uh, and such an intricate human being. So if you've had some questions or queries in your mind about what the hell it would be like to know Danny on that intimate level, well, guess what? We went there. I've done the Mile High Club, but I want to fuck on a private plane and just go balls to the wall. Just like a fuck jet. Yeah, fuck jet. Into that. Exactly that. I want a fuck jet. Yeah, like everyone's like, what size dick do you prefer? I'm like, what mouth do I prefer? When women, like back in like medieval times, would have like the handkerchief and they would like throw, at least in movies, like would like throw it to the night. Like panties are the new handkerchief. I had been wanting to do an interview with my identical twin sister for years and years now, and she finally agreed to it, which was such a thrill for me because I know growing up as an identical twin, we lead a very unique life experience uh, from those years of dressing alike to being confused for the other person um, to really building a bond that is so impenetrable, so unique and special. It's both harrowing, horrific, and so lovely, so important in my life that I thought, you know what, this might be a chance for some really fun storytelling. And it was just that. Uh, my sister is obviously very different from me in so many ways. And this might be her first on-camera speaking engagement, but we got it, so check it out. <laughs>
I couldn't be more excited for today's special guest, my identical twin sister, Sophie. Hello. Hey. I have been trying to get her in for this chat for years. Born identical twins, but have grown to be very, very different. She always fascinates me. Endless, endless vodka sodas, endless bumps of cocaine, <laughs> endless rock and roll. This is my absolute best friend in the whole wide world. We're bringing in my identical twin sister, Sophie. Aside from the impulsiveness and aside from the Botox and fillers, how would you say that we're different from each other? Holy shit, you guys. Jim fucking Norton. Uh, I was like gagged when he agreed to do this. Not only is he like a big deal in the community world, but he's impossible to nail down. I've known Jim for a little while now and... Uh, He's, he's a difficult guy to pin down for something like an interview. So maybe it was the pandemic that made it so appealing. Maybe he was just, you know, sitting at home thinking I have nothing else to do. So anyways, we finally did it. Chatting with Jim Norton is so hilarious. Uh, he's an absolute weirdo. And I really loved talking with him about his 30 years in the business because that's a big milestone to hit. And obviously he operates within a very uh, strange and unique style of comedy. He's known as quite uh, an eccentric human being. He definitely goes into some dark, deeper material. He goes into some strange places. And so uh, I wanted to really dive into who that person is, who this guy is why he enjoys going these places, and what has led him to it. Social media, do you think Twitter in particular has had an effect negatively or positively on comedy? I mean, it, it's, it's had, Twitter's had the same effect on comedy that AIDS had on sex. We have the fabulous, the bald and the beautiful, the legend Mr. Jim Norton, hi. How are you? Oh, I'm doing as well as possible right now. What about yourself? I'm good. I mean, I'm used to this shit life and uh, I'm, I'm actually ad adjusting to it pretty well, uh, doing nothing. I don't even miss stand-up that much. Like, I felt like I would miss stand-up, but now right. that nobody is doing it, knowing that everybody's suffering makes it easier for me to not feel so bad. So, uh, Jim, you're obviously close with the porn community. Uh, they yeah. know you, they love you. Have you ever been approached or given the opportunity to be in an adult production? No, I always figured if I... If I wanted to, I probably could have done something like just for the goof factor, somebody would have filmed it. But no, I mean, um, I have a weird, like I love porn people. I love them. Like I, I respect them. I think what they do is really fucking hard. I, I hate this shit attitude people have about porn. It's this condescension. And it's like, first of all, motherfucker, they've made more than almost any other film industry. Oh, shit. And I've been on shoots. Like I've been, when I, I posted AVN twice. Yes. And the first time was January of 04. So it was the 
2003 AVN and it was Jenna Jameson was my co-host. And so I went on a couple of low budget shoots, like a low budget shoot, mm. a medium budget shoot. And then one of Jen, Jenna did a girl, oh, girl scene. Fucking blowout, right? Just a huge. It's a, there's craft services. There's <laughs> costuming. It's like anything else you shoot. It's and a then the big industry. It's, it, it really is. It's, it's a huge film. But then yeah. you go on the low budget and it's the same guy holding the camera in a light and watching them perform under these unsexy conditions, which yeah. is a lighting crew. Come on, let's go. All right, uh, turn around, turn around. And watching these guys' dick stay hard and watching the women stay focused, I'm like, this is a fucking job. And the fact that they can do this is amazing. And nobody winning Oscars can do this. I heard them just described as sexual athletes. And yeah. it's like, if you're kneeling in a gravel driveway and fucking in 58 degree weather and you make it look right, I, I'm really impressed with them. Falls in love easier, porn stars or comedians? I, I don't know because we're both probably super needy. I, I think porn stars are very needy emotionally and so are comedians. I mean, we're all doing things for attention. We're all doing things for love. We all, you know, a lot of, but again, a lot of people associate sex and love and a lot of people associate attention with love. I think comedians and porn stars are probably similar in that. Like we do things that are very difficult to people who don't do them, but we just want somebody to love us. I'm so curious how the interactions are going to be post pandemic. And I know that now we're not even saying post pandemic. It's just like life with pandemic. I, I don't yeah. know. But the human interactions that we have, like one of my favorite things to do, no joke, is to go out and kiss strangers, you know, like in bars and in the nightlife in a big city. Like, I love that. I love to take big bite out of whatever event I'm a part of. And sometimes kissing a stranger is one of those things. Is that gone? Are we done with that? You know, there's no, because let's be honest, men are going to be less likely to push you away in, in, a, in, a, in a, they're more willing to catch COVID. Uh, that, you know, That's you'll be sad. kissing people before I'm shaking their hands. That's probably how it'll be like, they'll be less likely to push you off than for me, but they'll, me, I'll get the fist bump and you, they'll be like, fuck it, it's worth catching. Um, why pay for studio space when yeah. you can do it at home? Like the radio show we're doing is, I mean, it's not the same as being in studio. It's not as good as being in studio, but we're doing interviews and we're doing a show and we're succeeding on a show. So the company's gonna be like, why should we pay for Midtown Manhattan fucking real estate when you guys can do it at home? I wonder what they'll do with all the buildings. I hope something fabulous. You know, whorehouses all around. Yeah, 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 70 story whorehouses. That'd be nice. Do you think that audiences of comedians especially, like do you think that too many of the audiences are just I don't know if I want to call it brainwashed. They're looking for a political viewpoint, looking for a political message in work in, in people's stand-up, perhaps. Some are, or they see it where it doesn't exist. Right. Like if you make fun of Trump or if you make fun of Biden, they take it like it's this declarative statement where sometimes it's just like, well, no, they're, they're two old guys and you're making fun of them. Like they're politicians, they're make fun of all. They sign up for that when they become when they rule the free world. Everything now that a comedian says for some reason is this fucking thing where you're standing, you're standing at a balcony making a proclamation of fact. You know, it's insanity. It's your own, just out there to the people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no more jokes. Everybody takes it. You know what I mean? It's, it's like we've just become such a literal. Mm. And, and what, what, what's so repulsive about it and how you know it's not truthful where they're coming from? Zero forgiveness. There's zero forgiveness. There's zero room for context and it's arbitrary. So it's, it's just, there's no way to figure it out. Please fill in this sentence for me. It turns me on when someone calls me blank in the bedroom. Bitch, mm. bitch. Yeah, I, I like that. 
Because it's most, yeah, I guess bitch would be great. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, toilet doesn't suck. I hope you've all enjoyed this uh, mixtape of some of my favorite moments of Licked and Loaded so far. We've got a lot more coming to you. So there's a lot more to look forward to. Some awesome guests are lined up and we're just going to keep going with it. We're going to keep riding this out. I'm having so much fun doing it. I love talking to these incredible individuals, but also just talking to you guys too. So I hope you're enjoying all of this. In fact, get down here in the comments. If you're checking this out on YouTube, get down in the comments and let me know uh, what elements of Licked and Loaded you're enjoying so much because I promise you we'll start steering it in a direction that only enhances things further. So don't forget to like, favorite, and subscribe to this channel. You don't want to miss any of the moments to come. And let me know exactly how you're enjoying it. So we'll see you in the comments. Until then, I'm Laura Desiree, and this is Licked and Loaded, a Cam4 podcast.